millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to Work Stories. Do y'all remember attorney Deanna Lewis from earlier in the season? Well, she's back giving you generous legal advice if you feel like you might have a situation at work. Let's jump in. I guess let's talk a little bit about what are the signs that someone might want to get legal advice, I guess, press charges, I'm not sure the proper term, um, against their employer. Like, how do you know that something's happening at work that is to that next level where you need to be thinking bigger? So it's such an interesting question that I feel like I answer so many times in one day. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Because, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's good because I think that people have to seek guidance, right? And they need to seek proper and competent guidance from someone who has experience really helping or really just actually thinking through and assessing these type of questions, right? I am not one of those lawyers that's going to sell you a dream. So if you contact me for a consultation and I just don't see it, I'm going to tell you, I just don't see it, mm-hmm. right? right? Then I'll give you some hypotheticals of things or facts or situations, scenarios where I could see it. But I'm also telling you, I'm not going to make up facts for nobody because I love my law license. Right. So, <laughs> so you know, unfortunately for many people, events that have to happen need to be negative ones, really, mm-hmm. for them to have what I would perceive to be some sort of potentially legally actionable, viable legal claim. But if you don't have negative issues at work occurring, you don't necessarily want to impute negative issues at work. Sometimes they're just workplace disagreements, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're just personality conflicts. But I think that to your question, when people are starting to see that they are being treated differently from others, right? That's the first thing to pay attention to. The next question you want to ask yourself is why? Or what about me versus others is causing me to be treated in this particular way and not them? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's kind of like that saying, one of these things does not look like the other, (laughs) you know? So if you start looking at your scenario holistically and you see that, okay, I am a black woman, right? And I show up to work late once a week, but 
you know, let's say Tommy, who may be an Asian male, shows up to work late four times a week, but yet I, as a black woman, seem to be the only one having something said to about it, seeming to be the only one written up about it, right? And Tommy is just parlaying with his feet up on the desk, you know, and sometimes he shows up far later than the two or three or five minutes late that I show up. He's sometimes he's 30 minutes, two hours late. Sometimes he comes in at lunch. And for whatever reason, it seems like Tommy is able to act in his own right. And me and Tom, Tommy's not a supervisor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you okay. know, Tommy is not a manager level employee. Tommy and I do the same exact thing. We sit across from each other. Right. That's when those are the type of circumstances when it's like, okay, me and Tommy essentially are kind of in the same position. We kind of do the same type of work and we have the same boss. Mm-hmm. And Tommy is still, you know, going to play golf with the boss, you know, after work. And, you know, it just seems like Tommy is operating, you know, with with impunity. That's those are the type of situations when you want to start thinking like, okay, this might have something to do with a bias right? Or with, with a protected characteristic that's outside of my control, because I cannot help being born a black woman or a black person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yet it just seems that for whatever reason, I'm getting more scrutinized than Tommy is. And Tommy is an Asian male, right? And I'm a, a black woman. It could be that it's because, you know, maybe the boss, you know, likes Tommy more because he's a male, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, you know, he doesn't have the same level of preference for me as a woman. Maybe it's because I'm black. Maybe it's because Tommy's Asian. You just don't know. But again, these are the type of circumstances when you notice that you're doing something very similar to something someone else is doing. You all have the same manager or the same boss or the same chain of command. But yet, for whatever reason, you can't seem to be doing the same thing that somebody who looks different from you is doing, that I think may be a time to start raising your eyebrows and taking notes. Yeah. With a date, yeah. <laughs> right? They don't, they may say this has gone on for years, right? And I'm like, well, why didn't you come find a lawyer or talk to somebody, you know, before now? Mm-hmm. The reality is people don't want to assume that they're being discriminated against. Now you have some people who are not gunshot at all. <laughs> Right. And for them, everything is discrimination. But then you have, even as it relates to sexual harassment, by the way, because I do sexual harassment litigation as well. You know, some women and some people in general, they don't want to call it for what it is. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's almost like this can't be happening to me type of mindset. People we hear about it, but no one really wants to think that this is in fact happening to me. And it takes people some time, some time to reconcile the facts or the situation for what it actually is. And that's why I think when you start documenting these type of varying experiences where you feel like you're being singled out or treated differently or subjected to different standards than somebody else, and the the difference between you and that somebody else is what you look like, that's when it's time to start putting this in some sort of timeline you know, you don't want to be writing a book. Like you don't want to write forever, mm-hmm. right? Because you have statute, right. potential statutes of limitations at issue. But you want to get enough where it's like, okay, this is starting, you know, I have a few instances where this is starting to make me feel like there is a pattern. Now, I think what really drops the hammer is when it comes to disciplinary action or adverse action, because you have to have, unless you're alleging a hostile work environment, 
um, you know, or, or harassment that's tantamount to a hostile work environment, you have to be able to cite to some sort of adverse action, mm-hmm. right? You have to say that I was written up, I was disciplined, I was terminated, I was demoted, I had duties removed from me, mm-hmm. I was suspended, um, you know, I got this low performance rating, I got a proposed removal, um, and it's because you don't like me because I am a Muslim woman. Mm-hmm just as an example, or because I am a Haitian national, you know, or Haitian national woman, you know, or, you know, whatever the protected, or because I'm a Jewish man, you, you have to kind of be able to say that these things are happening to me because of this protected basis that I have that is outside of my control. And when people ask you, well, why is that? Well, cause this person over here, Sally, Jimmy, Sue, you know, is of a different race, a different ethnicity, a different religion, a different set. Mm. So that is a comparator analysis. And that's what courts really look to when they try to assess if you've actually stated a claim of discrimination. Okay, so say this, let's do this me and Tommy situation. And I get taken off a project and eventually demoted. So I've got my receipts together. What would be the first step in going to the next level? Like, do you just Google local lawyers? (laughs) Like, I don't think people know... some of the concrete things of what to do next. Presumably the employer is going to say you were demoted either because of your conduct or your performance, Mm -hmm. but that's usually what they use. Right. So let's say there was some conduct or there was some performance and they're trying to cite all these, what are usually very petty things um, to rise to the level of something that should be tantamount to demoting um, level activity. Right. Mm -hmm. The step then, well, it's, it's sometimes, um, it can be complicated and it can also be uncomfortable because really what you should be doing is going to human resources, uh, right? Okay, okay. Or, or the, or the EEO office, mm-hmm. if you have one with your employer and saying, listen, you know, I feel like I'm not warranted to be demoted because of X, Y, and Z. And oh, and by the way, I also feel like, you know, I'm being demoted because I'm being singled out as a black woman because these things I'm accused of that I have, you know, receipts to counter against. I also have receipts that Tommy, um, you know, has done the same exact thing, you know, these same exact things are similar things and he's not being demoted. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but feel like it's because I'm a black woman and because Tommy is, you know, whatever identifying race and, or, well, sex, he's a male usually, uh, if you're saying him. Um, but you know, Tommy, who is different from me and outside of my protected characteristics, I can't help but think it's really motivated by the fact that I'm a black woman Mm -hmm. and Tommy is not right. So typically the first step is to go to your internal EEO um, office or officer to file some sort of report or complaint. Mm -hmm. Um, Not everybody's comfortable doing that. And what I think sometimes the unfortunate reality also is, is Internal EEO offices, human resources are not always employee friendly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they are more employer friendly or management friendly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so if you think that is the case, there are external administrative entities that you could go to, whether you're private sector, government, state or federal government. You can go to the external EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and file a claim. 
And that is an external entity that will help you facilitate this process and file a formal complaint. Okay. You can go, if you're in the District of Columbia, you can go to the D.C. Office of Human Rights, which D.C. also has an EEOC. There are some jurisdictions that have two, but not many. D.C. is one of them. Um, so EEOC and the D.C. Office of Human Rights, D.C. OHR, they have a work sharing agreement um, where, you know, if one entity doesn't process the case, they might kick it over to the other entity. But essentially, they do the same thing. Um, I think from my experience, the D.C. Office of Human Rights is a little bit more involved, but they both have an opportunity to go to some level of mediation um, or conciliation or alternative dispute resolution where you show up presumably assuming your employer agrees or employer representative agrees to show up and you can kind of talk through what you perceive to be the, the issues, right? Mm-hmm. Or what you perceive to be the differential treatment. Because the other reality is implicit bias is real, mm-hmm. right? right? And one of the things I think we know and can recognize about implicit bias is it's not always conscious bias, mm-hmm. right? And so sometimes you call people out on their stuff and they're like, oh my God, I didn't know I was being racist or sexist. Yeah. Or I didn't know I was treating Tommy better because he reminded me of my grandson, mm-hmm. you know, and I just unfortunately don't know a lot of black women. So, yeah. you know, I, you know, for whatever reason, I was just kind of looking at you as the employee that you are. And, you know, Tommy, he's like my grandson, you know, grandparents love their grandchildren so they can kind of get away with murder. So sometimes these mediative conversations and sessions can be very helpful for people um, because you can kind of tell your story as the complainant or the employee and really get it out, what's bothering you. You know, really tell your employer in a facilitated dialogue and discussion um, kind of what's been going on as you see it, right? And you kind of get to hear from them as well. They're, they're, and sometimes there is a misunderstanding too, mm-hmm. right? It's not always intentional discrimination. Sometimes... It's also just a misunderstanding between two perspectives, but sometimes it's actually just different treatment. Say something to someone, whether it's someone internally assuming you trust them internally or their internal operations, that they would, in fact, try to help mediate your situation as an employee and not just go back and tell confidential information to management Mm -hmm. or whether you go outside of that, um, you know, kind of internal work place or workplace structure and actually pursue something with an administrative entity that can try and help facilitate that. But if you're able to find a lawyer before you do any of that, I would highly encourage people to do that. You know, there are some um, pro bono and legal aid entities out here um, that could potentially help do brief consultations about some of the issues and give you some guidance and advice because let's let's face it, lawyers are not cheap, right? Right. Uh, and sometimes people are like, "Oh man, I don't want to pay a lawyer X number of dollars just to talk to them for an hour." You know, I want to try to figure it out on my own. But one of the things I could tell you is, I have many clients who've tried to do that, and then they realize that they're Monday morning quarterbacking once they actually do retain counsel and make that investment. Mm-hmm. A lawyer, a good one, is an investment. Right. You know, of course, not all lawyers are created equal, <laughs> and sometimes you have lawyers out here, you know, pretending that they can do certain types of areas of law that they may not necessarily be the most experienced in. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important that you do talk to people and ask for lawyer referrals. One of the things I think right now is very important that gives us access to people and information that we may not have otherwise had is social media. 
there are plenty of people, you know, who make posts. Like, I'm looking for a lawyer. You know, anybody know anybody? And then people chime in. They start tagging people in. And so if you don't know where to start, go to social media first. Or Google. Um, A lot of people are working remotely these days, right? And they're going to continue to even as we move through this pandemic. Um, What, like, do they need to be getting counsel where they live? Or do they need to be getting counsel where their job is? That's such an interesting question. Um, First and foremost, you want to approach your employment agreement and see what it says. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you have an employment agreement, right, there may be a governing law provision in there. I, like I told you, I am outside counsel and general counsel for some small businesses and I put them in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And typically I put governing law in where I'm licensed to practice Mm -hmm. (laughs) because if there's something that comes up, I want to make sure I can represent my client as the employer. If you're an employee, you want to first see if there's a governing law provision in any document or agreement that you sign with your employer. Okay. If there is not, or if you don't have an employment agreement in place, um, you can actually pursue something where you live. Because if you are a virtual employee, your work is virtual and it majorly is being um, conducted and performed in your home residence, um, which also means in the home state that you live in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know that can be confusing now, especially with kind of these times. And it's interesting because I do a lot of federal lawsuits and, you know, sometimes we'll have employers come in and try to challenge the forum and say, well, no, this is not the correct forum because my, um, you know, because they don't want to have to pay lawyers fly across the country. My client is based here and this is where all the business records are, blah, 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 blah. So then it kind of becomes a dispute of fact as to, okay, what court or what forum has more jurisdiction over this employment matter? And typically... You know, you want to go to the forum where you can say the issues arise out of. So it also oftentimes is fact specific, right? Because you want to, you have to figure out, so are we talking about sexual harassment, right? Mm -hmm. And does sexual harassment only occur when I was on site across in Texas, you know, but yet primarily, you know, when I work with my boss, I'm living in Maryland, right? But when I fly to Texas, for, you know, our conferences, for our, you know, check-ins, for our meetings or whatever, that's when the sexual harassment occurs. It, there is potentially an argument that maybe Texas is the more appropriate forum. Okay. But, you know, I mean, if I was representing the employee, I would file in Maryland because that's where my client lives, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, or I should say I would likely file in Maryland just based off that very limited hypothetical because that's where my client lives and that's where the majority of my client's work was performed. Um, So I think that it can be a dispute. Sometimes, you know, the location or the form is not challenged. Sometimes it is. But that's why it's also important to talk to a lawyer who can also kind of help think through and make assessments about where the most appropriate form to file is. Okay. All right. One last question for you, I promise. (laughs) Um, Some people will leave their job on their own. They've had these issues, they've taken note of it, and then they'll decide to leave and then file something. Is there any benefit to leaving first or is it actually better to still be employed? Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) That is such a question, right? And I explore that. That's another question I explore often with people. And it's, I tell clients or potential clients I talk to that 
at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for your peace of mind, mm. right? And your mental health, because mental health is real, right? And I think that sometimes in our communities, we don't talk about it as much. I think we're starting to get better at it. But there are a lot of people who are suffering in silence. A lot of people who've had, you know, gone through bouts of depression. A lot of people who've developed anxiety, you know, or related disorders. Um, and, and so you have to take care of yourself. But this is what I could tell you. So it's, it's kind of a legal toss up. On the one hand, if you leave your job and then try to file a claim, it's considered a constructive discharge, right? Mm. Where you're basically arguing that I was forced to leave because my work environment was so tough that I was left with no choice. That is a very high burden to bear. It's a very high burden to litigate. And that's why documenting these various instances of differential treatment, harassment, uh, harassing conduct, unfair treatment is very important because you have to be able to make your claim that essentially your work environment was so hostile and pervasive that you were forced out. Mm-hmm. And had you not left, you would go crazy. You know, sometimes I have clients who have been suicidal. Like the job work environment is is no joke. You know, people's livelihood, their sanity, their mental health, their emotional stability, all of that is impacted. And sometimes it even permeates their family lives Mm -hmm. as well. You know, where they can't function to the same degree. They don't have the same level of joy. You got children, you know, kind of being sad because mommy isn't acting like mommy anymore or daddy doesn't laugh and smile anymore. Daddy can't take a joke anymore. You know, any type of things like that. So it's kind of like, all right, do you want to potentially get terminated, right? Because if you stay and it looks like they're trying to kind of set you up to fail so they can terminate you, well, on the one hand, your damages may be better, right, than if you left in a constructive discharge claim. Because if you can't actually reach the the burden of establishing a constructive discharge claim, then you essentially have kind of limited your damage and or the possibility of you being able to even demonstrate that you have met the prima facie elements of a legally viable claim for discrimination. So that's one thing. The other thing, though, is if you stay and you know you're being trying or they're trying to force you out, you know, then you have to potentially contend with a termination on your record, mm-hmm. right? That may not have actually been warranted, but may have more so been a byproduct of discrimination or retaliation because you complained about feeling like discriminate, you were discriminated against. So then it's like, okay, well, do I contend with, you know, trying to explain a resignation and then trying to like explain to a court or a judge why my host- my environment, work environment was so hostile that I felt like I had no choice but to leave or do I try to explain to a future employer why I got terminated, right? And the thing about like these type of claims, you don't necessarily want to bring old baggage into a new relationship, right? So you don't want to like start a new job talking about how you filed in this EEO complaint and how you filed and then you retaliated against and then you were terminated, you know, cause like that can be uncomfortable. There are some employers that are welcoming, or I should say more open to those type of conversations, because I think the more these realities become made more public and just the ridiculous circumstances of them become made more public. I think the more, you know, corporations, companies, entities are starting to recognize that these are real issues that people have to contend with. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, you know, you could potentially start a new job or a new position as, you know, a complainer or being known as somebody who filed an EEO complaint. You know, you could be tagged. Basically. Yeah. 
it's not a simple answer one way or another, right? So it's like either get forced out or either, you know, get terminated. Um, Dang, this is the life we're living. I mean, it it feels like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't uh, sometimes. But I guess everyone has to make their individual decisions in the moment based on exactly what is happening to them and what they feel like they need in the moment. So it's very personal. I will tell you, I have some clients who stay or continue to stay in their work environment because one, they are adamant that they're not about to be pushed out. Mm -hmm. Right. So even though they're in therapy, even though they're on antidepressants, you know, even though they're, you know, pain management um, regimens and what have you, they're like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I worked to be here. I deserve to be here. And just because I'm black or a woman or homosexual or Muslim, or because you know I have lighter skin than everyone else, I'm not going to let your bias against me be the fuel for my demise. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of clients who are like that. Then I have some clients who are also like that. And they're just like, nope, if you're going to fire me, you're going to pay me. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Because because <laughs> they know that their damages could potentially be greater mm-hmm. uh, because now you're potentially talking about back pay. Yeah. Right. And, you know, kind of maybe even a greater pain and suffering award if you're successful because you've, you know, kind of been at this longer versus kind of cutting off the time frame of emotional distress by leaving. Yeah. So there's no real simple, unfortunately, answer. Um, you know, it's like you said, kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I do think it's definitely worthwhile having someone who can help you think through these scenarios. But for me, like I said, one of the things I tell my clients is you have to be able to show up for you, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're hospitalized, you're not going to be no good helping me answer no discovery questions. Right. <laughs> Right, you're not helpful. You know, you know what I mean. So, you know, I I mean, I think it's it's very much uh, a weighted. Sometimes people talk to their significant others Mm -hmm. or their best friends or their parents for guidance, right? And sometimes I I will literally ask, well, how much can you handle? How much more can you take? Yeah. How much more are you willing to fight? And sometimes it's really me pushing back really the question to them that makes them become more self-reflective and deciding, you know, well, how much more can I take? I'll tell them, go talk to your doctor, Mm -hmm. go talk to your therapist, get some medical guidance on this, you know, to see if they think it's good for you. One of the other things I recommend sometimes for my clients is to try and get medically written out of work. Okay. Right. So to take some medically approved time off. So if you're dealing with depression, anxiety, you know, some sort of what would really be considered a disability or a serious medical condition, which would either be con- covered by the American with Disabilities Act or Rehabilitation Act, or if it's a serious medical condition, the Family Medical Leave Act, um, you know, try to get some time off from work so you can recenter and refocus because sometimes that's, you know, it's not necessarily that you need to it per se is that you need a reprieve you need a sabbatical from the bs right right (laughs) (laughs) you know so so that's something i kind of help think through with my clients as well wow thank you so much this is oh my gosh so many questions that have been asked to me are now answered because of you so I just really appreciate you being open to share about like your own experiences and giving us all this great advice and for free (laughs) 
I know it's a big deal. So very appreciative. Um, Let people know how they can uh, keep up with you, you know, see more of what you're doing, follow your firm. Okay, absolutely. Well, again, my name is Deanna Maria Lewis. I am the founder and managing partner or attorney of the District Legal Group, PLLC. We are based in Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C., right across from the Eastern Market Metro. I can be found individually and personally, which I post a lot about kind of my legal trajectory, my motherhood trajectory at Miss Native DC, M-I-S-S, Native, N-A-T-I-V-E, DC. My law firm is at District Legal Group. You can also find us on the web, the World Wide Web at www.districtlegalgroup.com. Or if you want to send an email, you can send it to info, I-N-F-O, at districtlegalgroup.com. Thanks so much, Joy, for having me. Thank you so much. I hope you got a lot of your questions answered today. Thank you so much to Deanna for blessing us with all of her knowledge. Check out District Legal Group on the gram to follow her work. Have a good week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.